probably like nothing better we have to celebrate than an end to death, which is what the Easter holiday represents. Like, you know, death is kind of a, it's a death is a big factor in the world. And uh, it's news every day. And if God uh, creates a path through death, out of death, if he creates a path to life renewed, well, that's a great thing to celebrate. And obviously that's why uh, believers have been making a big deal about uh, Resurrection Day for 2,000 years now. Uh, In some ways, I think, you know, victory over death, an end to death, I mean, that, what could possibly be better for people to celebrate? I mean, it should kind of be the, the biggest celebration of all, right? I mean, all else equal, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty huge. But I've noticed that Easter is not as universal a holiday as Christmas around the world. That, that for whatever reason, even, even non-believers find Christmas accessible, right? Even, even uh, you know, countries, nations that are largely not believing, not Christian, maybe mostly of another religion, they still kind of get into Christmas. Christmas is, is cool for everyone, but not so Easter. Even though the theme of Easter, victory over death, is probably like the most universal celebratory theme that we can imagine. And, and, and I've, I've thought to myself, well, why is that? Why is Easter not as popular as Christmas? And I think the answer is, is pretty, pretty plain. It's because Easter is weird. Easter is more weird than Christmas. Go ahead, write that down. If you learn nothing else today, remember that the pastor said, oh yeah, Easter is more weird than Christmas. Uh, May the name of the Lord be praised. Um, Well, what I mean is that Easter is kind of hard to naturalize. Easter is harder to make merely symbolic. You know what I mean? I mean, you you could say something like, well, you know, uh, Resurrection Day, it sort of represents the renewal of life that comes to us in various seasons of life or something like that. But, you know, it's kind of hard to, to avoid you know, the, the, the fact at the core of the story, which is like bodily resurrection. A guy who was dead wasn't dead on Easter morning. And, and it's harder to make that merely symbolic, you know. Uh, Good Friday... Uh, which precedes this Easter, is weird in its own way. Two, I think Christianity is the only faith in the world that has as its core event the humiliation of its God. You know, that we put God on a cross and strip him naked and make him bloody and have the whole world mock him and stuff like that. that that's kind of unique uh, to this house of faith. Uh, that, that's, weird. that's weird in and of itself. Uh, but... But then, you know, this idea of bodily resurrection, not, not some distant next life on an ethereal plane sort of resurrection, but no, no, no. In a grave on the outskirts of Jerusalem, a dead body was reanimated, walked out, and changed the world. That's weird. That's weird. It's, it's hard to kind of get your brain around that one. Somehow it's a bit more challenging than, you know, the birth of a baby who represents peace and promise what Christmas uh, might be. I think Easter is more surreal, if you know that word. I've noticed that people will accept a God who spoke the universe into being without much trouble. 
Uh, even, even people who aren't really like following after Jesus will kind of like, oh yeah, you know, a creator, capital C. Maybe there's a creator out there. Like for some reason, that idea is, is relatively easy for people to small, swallow. Or they'll accept the idea of God speaking the universe into being out of nothing more readily than they will accept the idea of a dead Jewish guy coming back to life on a certain Sunday 2,000 years ago. So in some way, I think what we're celebrating, Resurrection Day, Easter, it's, it's, where, it's where weird gets real. It's where weird gets real. And I think that kind of moment where weird gets real is a fundamental Christian moment. I think it's a fundamental moment in the experience of Jesus' followers. Um, some years ago, uh, when I was a young uh, college kid, um, I was having uh, some of my more fundamental uh, supernatural experiences. I, I'd sort of grown up believing. Uh, I went away to college. I was exposed to more streams of the church and stuff like that. And I started having encounters uh, that weren't just cerebral, but were really actual. I started having encounters with the Holy Spirit. Uh, God has different manifestations in the world. The Holy Spirit is what we call the manifestation of God in the here and now in history with us currently. And, uh, and it was in college in my late teens and early 20s that I started really hearing the voice of the Lord in real time, you know, hearing the Lord speak to me, occasionally audibly, uh, but more often just kind of like, you know, in my heart or in my mind, I kind of felt that spiritual whisper, and I really felt led by the Lord in real time. And, 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 and it was a different experience than just feeling the leading of the Lord in Scripture. You know, I mean, you read Scripture, and like, well, that's good advice. I will obey that. But then when you kind of feel like God in real time is saying, you know, Jordan, do this, somehow it gets a bit more real, you know, a bit more immediate. I remember uh, one, one weekend, I was taking a, a break from school, and I went to uh, uh, this, uh, this uh, faith conference, this Christian faith conference uh, nearby, and I had an encounter with the Lord there. Uh, it was a time when it was a gathering like this, and somebody was praying for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room, and, and, and lots of us just physically felt the Holy Spirit enter the room. Like you could just feel it in your, in your actual physical body. And then somebody uh, was, was praying for me, or, or as I described it later, praying in my direction, you know, you know and, and bless this guy. Lord, you have something to give this guy. And, and I, I just felt the Holy Spirit just move toward me. I could physically feel him come. And then it's like he almost punched my body and literally lifted off my feet and, and knocked me back into the pew and spoke to me really powerfully as if some guy was walking across the room and took me and said, Jordan, you need to listen to this. You know, I felt shaken physically, literally off my feet. So just a very dramatic experience. You know, you don't, you don't expect God to impact you physically uh, in the course of a normal day. But he did, and then some other things went on that were very supernatural and very immediate. But I re what I remember most about that day is later that afternoon when I got back to my dorm room, and I was all alone in the dorm room, and I was kind of reflecting on this incredible experience that I had with the real-time presence of God. And I remember reaching out and grabbing one of my textbooks and opening it up and kind of petting the page 
like, you know, like maybe I was a little bit high, you know. Um, not that I have any experience of that. Um, but what, what I was doing is I was, I was kind of instinctively contemplating reality. You know, I was like, I'm not sure what's real anymore. You know, if, if God is like that in my life and my world, I don't really know where to set my reality anchors. Do you know what I mean? It was a surreal experience. Now, here's the thing. I had grown up believing in God. I had grown up believing the stories of the miracles in scriptures and the stories about how God can be very present and very physical. I believed all of that. But then I had such a dramatic encounter with God, it, it, such an in-your-face encounter with the Holy Spirit, that, that it was like, it was, it, was, it was a quantum leap. I mean, you know, there's like accepting faith, and then there's like accepting that faith is true. You know? And more often than not, it seems, the thing that makes that happen, sort of makes faith really real for us, disorientingly real for us, is when God gets really weird. You know, weirdness makes things seem real. Or the surreal is what makes things seem real for us in the life of faith. Does that make any sense? Any sense at all? Because if it makes sense to you, would you turn to the person next to you and try to explain it? <laughs> I'm not sure I, I have a great way to explain it. You know, when, when something really dramatic happens in our life, something shocking and surprising, what's our reaction? Our reaction is, this can't be happening. It's a reality clash, right? I mean, which, which reality is real? Is it the normal reality that I've been living under? Or is it this reality, which freaks me out a little bit? And there's a moment there. And that's... That's a growth moment for you. That's a potentially life-changing moment. And our first reaction is typically to deny. Why? Well, because we're used to normal, are we not? We are normal. Well, I mean, not you, but there, mostly people are normal. Uh, we have our fair share of abnormal people at, at Blue Water. Um, when we're mostly normal, and when something weird happens, we don't really know how to think of ourselves or our lives. And that's really challenging. I think that can be the most challenging thing about walking with Jesus or accepting Jesus as Lord of your life. It's not that you have such a hard time believing in God or such a hard time believing in this character Jesus. Maybe not such a hard time believing that there is resurrection, but, but how do you work it into your life, you know? How do you make it real? And very often, I think humans get stuck right there on the frontier between normal and weird. And because we can't quite digest weird, we just walk back into normal. And that's a challenge that Easter always brings us. Here's a story about it uh, from Mark chapter 16. Uh, the Gospel of Mark provides what is my favorite account of, uh, of the resurrection, uh, in large part because it was the first account written historically. It's the shortest 
uh, most cut and dry account. I mean, it's a little bit sloppy in the way that it's organized. It always makes me feel real. You know, I like the gritty stuff. So here's the story of that fateful day from the very end of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and you'll notice that there, there are different versions of the story, even within one gospel. When the Sabbath was over, that means uh, Saturday had passed and it was Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they could go to anoint Jesus' body. Jesus was executed and buried so quickly that they didn't really get the chance to do the normal burial rituals with him. They didn't put the, the normal spices on his body. He wasn't embalmed, so to speak. And so uh, the, these women who loved him were at least going to go do the proper rites for his body as a gesture of love and respect. Uh, so they got some spices together early Sunday morning. They're going to go and take care of Jesus' body, uh, which by now is in the tomb. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And they said, oh, you know what? Uh, he was buried in this rich man's tomb. It's probably got this big old rock in front of it, sealing the entrance. Uh, who are we going to recruit to help us move that rock? So they're having this practical discussion. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. It's already open. Like, oh, that's, that's a freak out moment. What the heck? And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. Very specific. And they were alarmed. Like, who are you? Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. It's typical in Christian churches from around the world to have a little cheer when that verse is written. He is risen. He's not here. We can be a little traditional of Blue Water. That's cool. Uh, that was kind of a, a, a sucky cheer, though. He is risen. He is not here. Much better. Thank you. I felt that one. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. I like the way Peter is singled out because Peter, Peter had kind of blown it. Peter had denied Jesus a few times. Peter, the whole Good Friday thing, that was not a good day for Peter. And so the angel in the tomb said, you go tell the disciples and give Peter a pat on the back and say, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, we beat death. Uh, don't worry about it. Um, go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And indeed, Jesus had explained it, but nobody had understood it. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They were freaked out by the experience. And right there after that verse, that's where the original manuscript of the Gospel of Mark ends. The very first version of Mark ended right there. It ended with the women getting freaked out, feeling afraid, and telling no one, which I think is a great ending. Because it's just so obviously accurate. I mean, we know, yes, that is exactly what happened. Because if it were not exactly what happened, it's too humiliating to actually put in the historical record. You know? And you could just imagine these women listening to the, to the first version of Mark being read and be like, ah, it's just like really embarrassing. But yes, you know, we freaked out. You know, we, we uh, I don't know what they did, but they... Uh, I just imagine the discussion. So are we going to actually tell anyone or are we going to like pretend that that never happened and just, 
you know, go along with our normal lives. Because what are people going to say? And what, what actually happened? It was a surreal moment for them. It was very, very weird for them. I, I love it that these women had seen Jesus do numerous healing miracles. They had seen a lot of normal miracles, right? There was a way in which the supernatural had become normal for these ladies. But this kind of whole resurrection, did he or didn't he moment, that's, that's just weird. That's just weird. And they didn't quite know how to digest it, how to metabolize it. Great ending. But then what Mark does is it provides another version of it. And like, uh, we're used to this today. Like when you Google something, uh, a news story, Google gives you like six accounts of the same story. So this is like early Google. This is what this is the Gospel of Mark is doing. Well, here's one account. Now, here's another account that we found that another authoritative person wrote. And it's stacking it for you just to get full perspective from different angles. So here, here's another account. Follows in chapter 16. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons. She should have been used to weird. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Too weird. Too weird. Afterward, Jesus appeared to, in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. Uh, we have that full story in the Gospel of Luke. These returned and reported it to the rest. But they did not believe them either. I love this. I love this. It's so obviously true, right? Um, later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. And he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Boom. End of that account. I just, I love this. It's just, it's just so human. It so openly and humbly acknowledges the phenomenon that we're talking about. It's like sometimes life with God can get surreal. And it's not that they didn't believe in God. And it's not that they did not have miraculous experiences previously. We're talking about the women who followed Jesus daily and, and, and the men who were his chief followers and co-workers, Right? We're talking about them. They believed it all, but there's a moment in, in which God just gets too weird and you don't know how to fit it in anymore. And it's not belief that's the stumbling block. It's just, it's identity that's the stumbling block. How can I get this into my life and not blow apart at the seams? How can I get this into my life and, and, and be normal or functional? I, it does not compute. And I think that's the moment that defeats a lot of, of people. There's accepting faith, and then there's the moment when you accept that faith is actually true. And sometimes those are two different moments. Sometimes that can feel very surreal. Um, I get into a lot of uh, spiritual conversations with people. Uh, people uh, find out that I'm a, I'm a pastor, and they have one or two reactions. Uh, usually the reaction is just to shut up and feel awkward. Uh, but, but some of them are like, they, they feel compelled to comment on their own spiritual life. 
Uh, and a lot of times what people say to me is like, oh yeah, you know, I believe there's something out there t- too. Have you ever had that conversation? You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a church-going person, you know, I'm not like a religious person. That's really popular to say it that way these days. Well, I'm not a religious person, but yeah, you know, there, I, I think there might be something out there. Um, and uh, I'm, I've been intrigued by that idea for years, that people can kind of live in that space where they believe that something's out there, but they just leave it at that. And I would think that that would be an incredibly unsettling way to live. But I think that's where the majority of, uh, of people uh, do live. They accept, the, they accept the idea of God as long as you don't push too hard on it. But they have a way of keeping it all at arm's length. Now, in some ways, I think that's a really cool way to live. That, that's, I, I see the advantages to living that way uh, because what it, what it means is that you can believe and have some of the benefits of believing uh, without it having to make any specific difference in how you live. And that's super convenient. Um, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. I kind of like it. Uh, you know, your faith, God, is there if you need it but it's not butting in where you feel like you don't need it. You know, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and, you know, and I acknowledge that when people hold that mindset that, you know, it can be an empowering mindset in, in some ways. I just think it's, it, I mean, it's just, it's boring. You know, it's boring because there's a God who doesn't necessarily do anything God-like for you except be there in some sort of vaguely comforting way. Uh, what's the opposite sort of person to a person who kind of keeps God there but at arm's length? And you might think the opposite sort of person is a great saint who, you know, believes in God perfectly and, and all that stuff. I think the opposite sort of person, though, is what I call a stormy believer. And uh, I'm very fond of stormy believers because I think that I am one. Uh, the stormy believer is a person who has faith in God but fights with God a lot. Fights with God over disappointments or tragedies that happen in life. Fights with God because God seems to insist that they believe certain things that are really inconvenient and awkward to believe, you know? And so there's this tense, argumentative, uh, hot and cold, boisterous relationship. Um, But as stormy as that person is, the person just refuses to put God on the shelf. And that person fights to include God in his or her life anyway, even though it's like a soap opera. You know, a stormy believer. You get what I'm saying? Do you know people like that? I mean, I know not not you because you're a saint, but maybe, maybe you know some people whose disappointments and pride and awkwardness sort of factor into their faith relationship uh, with the Lord. People who fight to make God real in spite of a desire to not have such a real God. I don't know, maybe some of you are, are, are living in that space. I, I think most humans uh, do believe in God. I mean, the studies show that most humans believe that there is something out there. 
the overwhelming majority of humans uh, believe that. Uh, but they like to keep that God at a distance, a boxed-in God, sort of a pseudo-God. Even dedicated church-going people like to keep God at a distance like that. Uh, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. In this story, the disciples had been disappointed by God in a big way. I mean, on Easter morning, when the sun rose, the people who had followed Jesus were just a shattered people. You know, they had invested, they had trusted, they had hoped, they had staked their future on a certain outcome, and it went bad. And it didn't go just bad. I mean, it went really, really bad, bloody bad, threateningly bad. Everything collapsed. The whole political scene was on them. The whole religious scene was on them. Everything soured for them. So when the sun rose on Easter, they were disappointed uh, to the extreme. And they would have stayed that way forever, except and unless they accepted that God was really weird. They would have just remained stuck. But God presented them with a surreal moment. That was God's antidote to their problem, to their disappointment, to their shatteredness, to their double-mindedness. You know, God didn't come and carefully explain everything. Instead, God gave them a choice. Are you really, are you willing to let God be this weird? Are you willing for your life to be like, you know, this weird? That was the curative moment for them. And they all struggled with that moment, every last one of them, uh, which I think is, is just fascinating. Here's the life principle that I take away from that part of the Easter story. Unless it occasionally gets surreal for you, it will never be real for you. Unless God occasionally gets surreal for you, unless God occasionally gets weird for you, then God will never get real for you. You got that? Because I think our challenge with God is not always, you know, believing that there is a God or believing that God can do this or that. Our challenge with God is like, when God presents us with something that doesn't fit into our life, surreal means does not fit. Just, it just doesn't fit. And when God doesn't fit into your life, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And that's a moment that, that we all have. Even those of us who have been following hard after Jesus for years, like these guys were, when God does something that doesn't fit, what do we do? Do we act with fear and freak out? Or do you try to metabolize it? Do you try to find a way to anchor yourself in a new reality? Do you change your identity or do you try to change God? Great part of, of the Easter story. I love, I love to picture um, Easter morning, the original resurrection day, with intense imagination. I'm not great at visualization. I'm not great at imagination exercises. But I try to, I try to do them with respect to, to that, that Sunday. I try to really put myself there in the story and to imagine it 
if I can, maybe walking with the women as they went to the tomb or, or hiding with the disciples as they heard the news. You know, I, I tried to imagine uh, the sunlight on that spring day in Jerusalem, you know, the dust that was in the air, particularly around the graveyard and that rocky place in the city. Uh, feel the heat on my skin, uh, the smells of the graveyard, which would not have been holy, sacred smells. You know, just the dirtiness of it, the contamination of it, and put myself there, the first century graveyard, and, and, and maybe having encountered the grave and walking back uh, to the others, maybe the sounds of the city, people waking up and going along uh, the streets conducting their normal business, ignoring me as if nothing had changed in the world and kind of walking by them and looking at them and thinking about their lives as compared to what I had just witnessed maybe. Did it really happen? Um, how weird it must have uh, felt. You know, that, that juxtaposition of like normal life and this reality that God has presented you with. Um, and like me, you know, touching my textbook after having that wild encounter with the Holy Spirit. I wonder, I wonder what the ladies and, and the 11 and all the other disciples and followers did after receiving the news and just kind of looking at each other like, well, coffee's ready. You know, breakfast time, you know, lunch time, and you sit down and you eat, and then you think, well, I, I, don't, I don't know, I, I mean, do we eat now? What, what, what exactly, what exactly do we do? Do we go shopping? How, how do we talk to people uh, when we go out there? And just the surreality of it all, uh, the weirdness of it all. Imagine yourself, I did this exercise, you know, this week. Uh, imagine yourself there on that morning, lunchtime on Resurrection Day, and you're still trying to figure out if you believe the women. You put a bite of food in your mouth. You got a mouthful of, I don't know, what do they eat? I'm sure it was pita bread. They eat pita bread. And, uh, you know, they turn to the person next to you in your imagination, chewing with your mouth full and saying, so, resurrection from death, huh? something about that that juxtaposes nicely um, the gritty nature of life and the transcendent nature of the resurrection miracle. Transcendent God, eternal life, fly on the potatoes. Like somehow we have to get it all working together in life. And somehow we Jesus followers today have to get it all working together. The idea that, no, actually Jesus rose from the dead bodily and then like ascended to heaven. That is like, that's not a normal miracle. There's something about that that's more challenging than just like healing a paralyzed guy. It's too weird. And I think maybe that's why God did it this way. You know, God could have designed the universe and the story any way he wanted to, but I think he made it like extra weird like this, nitty gritty weird like this, so that we would all have this moment like, sure, you believe in a creator God. Sure, you believe you know, in resurrection, after death, in some ethereal plane. Yeah, sure, you believe that God can do miracles today, but do you, do you believe that Jesus rose bodily and then, like, ascended into the clouds? I mean, that's just, like, 
That's like childishly weird. That's like fairy tale weird. I mean, do you believe it? Do you believe that much? And how do you, how do you fit that into, into life? That's a great moment. And if you do that moment well, then you will survive well all these moments that following God brings to you where you have to change your identity instead of trying to change God. You don't get to be the sort of person that keeps God at arm's length. And maybe today is a day for you to grapple with the reality of it or to grapple with the surreality of it. Are you willing to kind of be weird? Easter always makes me feel like that. Am I willing to be that weird? Is that, is that how life should be? Great question for Easter Sunday. How weird are you willing to be? Uh, weird enough to celebrate victory over death. The nice thing is that if you're willing to be Easter weird, man, you have a lot to celebrate. I mean, victory over death, people. I mean, that's like, that's like freak out weird and like freak out happy. They have to go together. You know, are you willing to be that person? That person, you know? Are you content to be the person like, yeah, I think there's something out there. If that's you, God bless you. But you're stunted. You know, you're not going to have the kind of faith that gets you through the disappointments, the tragedy, and the shattering. I don't know if you're going to have the kind of faith to resurrect you when you need it.